Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Kathy Flora. Kathy's held positions in leadership development and HR training in the corporate world and state and federal government. As a nationally certified career counselor and master career coach, Kathy's guided hundreds of individuals through life and career transition. No stranger to transitions herself, she was a three-term elected state representative in New Hampshire. After making a move to Washington, D.C., she managed HR programs for the Congressional Research Service of the Library of Congress and the Defense Intelligence Agency before retiring from public service in 2015. Kathy volunteers for CancerAndCareers.org as a virtual career coach for cancer survivors. She's an author, speaker, wife of 43 years, and joyful grandma who can be found most mornings on the trails near their home on the Florida Sun Coast. Caregiver, the role chronicled in her book Walking My Mama Home, was an unexpected one, cherished for its power season of spiritual inspiration and growth. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome, and thanks for your book. Um, I guess I want to just start by saying that... um, you know, you, you what your book chronicles really is the decline of a cognitive of of a dementia diagnosis, which of course many people call the long goodbye, um, because uh, you feel as if you're losing the person somewhat before they die, and your mother is actually still alive. Yes. Yes, indeed she is. She's going to be 94 on June 27th, so I'm really pleased to say she's still with us. The book chronicles both her journey as she goes through experiencing dementia. She has a Lewy body dementia, which is a kind of an on-again, off-again type of thing, slightly different than Alzheimer's where there's a complete decline. So mom sometimes rallies and sometimes goes into these hallucinations. But it also chronicles what it's like to be a caregiver and having to accept some of the changes that you see and what happened with me in my own head, in my own heart, as I anticipated something quite different in my retirement. And it ended up being one of the richest experiences of my life, but it was really grueling and still can be because although my mom is now living up near my sister in another state, I have to cope with another different kind of caregiving because I'm distant and um, I have to balance what goes on in the relationships between my sister and I as well as the relationship with my mom. You know, I actually think that's a a, a very interesting part of your story because in general people have one of those situations or the other and that and that's often a conflict I've found in my in my work around caregiving. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. it's hard for the person who's nearby to truly understand being far away and vice versa. But you and your um, siblings have had both experiences, and that must be an well, interesting least, perspective. Well, it is. A couple at of least, the, At least fact, the sister um, that she's near. Right. The sister that she's near it happens to be the one who's probably the best equipped to manage this stage of mom's illness. Because I, I was not a medical person, had never been, nor did I ever want to be. And I was dealing with the initial stages of her illness where she hadn't been diagnosed yet, but she was behaving really strangely. And then she um, got put in a psych hospital um, through some behavior that happened at her um, assisted living facility, and I had to cope with that. I had my sisters, one who's a social worker, one who's a nurse, say to me, well, she doesn't act like she needs memory care. And I had to cope with the fact that the doctors were saying, we're not letting her out unless you put her in memory care, and watching and experiencing that. And then we had to move my mom because I, we happened to have lived on the um, Gulf Coast of Florida, and Hurricane Irma in, in 2017 was very dramatic here. And I did not want to leave mom behind when we were forced to evacuate. So we um, popped her on a plane to my sisters in Indiana, who, you know, she thought that would be just great and that she'd turn around in a week and come home. And then um, they decided to keep her. And in in a way, that's the denouement, the whole story as far as I'm concerned, because I had to let go. And it was like a death to me. Um, It was funny. I felt like my gift had been stolen, you know, because I had gotten so close Mm. to my mom. But now my sister's experiencing what I had experienced of being close to her. And, um, boy, it's, I have to be very careful how I walk my conversations through with my sister, not to overstep my bounds, but at the same time to appreciate her for all that she is doing because I know how hard it can be. And she's well-suited for it because she is a nurse and she understands some of the medical aspects that I never did. And and that was interesting too. That of course you could have objected and fought and and made a case for her coming back, but it seemed to me that you accepted that pretty quickly. That um, oh. sure, let's you know, let's uh, maybe you made it sound simpler than it really was. But can I tell um, the truth? <laughs> but you know, but, I would find that quite wrenching to be taking care of someone that intimately and to have them gone without preparation. But of course that happened a few times where she suddenly had to be moved in some way. So I guess you had a little preparation. Well, but I didn't have a preparation for her being out of my care. What happened with mom is as her disease progressed, we kept realizing that she needed more and more care. So she had been with my husband and I our oversight, but not actually living with us for about 13 years since my dad died when we finally um, made the decision for Indiana. So what happened was um, as she started needing more and more care in her independent living facility after we helped her to move close to us, because she, she actually is blind with macular degeneration and she was driving. We needed to take the car. We needed to get her close. We needed to get her somewhere where we could um, give her a lot more support. But then she started having these hallucinations, and it was important for us to get her into an assisted living facility, and the doctor said somewhere where she had some psychiatric care. 
meaning a psychiatric social worker or a nurse practitioner who could kind of oversee the mental health side of this because that disease um, really changed her demeanor and her behavior. And um, then she started wandering. She was sharp. She used to be a nurse, and she still calls herself an RN. I guess once a nurse, always a nurse. And so mom started um, observing the staff coming and going and when their shift change was, and she got herself positioned in the lobby of her assisted living facility, and during uh, shift change, she walked out, and she was going to catch a bus home to Detroit where she was finishing up her nursing shift in her mind. So they told me about that and said, you know, we really need to take care that she's behind a, a locked door because she will be a flight risk and it's dangerous. And it is. I mean, here, we're in Florida. She was a block away from a major highway. So um, we had to make that change. So it was a series of many, many changes, but I had a lot of say in what went on. And I was really careful to keep all my siblings in, um, in the loop. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't always like the decisions I made, but sometimes I just had to make them. And then when we when we had to evacuate her, she could have come with us, but we had to get out of town. It took us 16 hours in the car and no gas. You know, you were afraid you weren't going to have gas. All these things with the evacuation of, of our neighborhood, because we happened to live on water, um, it was best in our mind not to leave mom in her facility with nobody around, even though her facility was well-equipped. It just didn't make sense to us to leave her here. So my sister said, oh, send her up here. We popped her on a Southwest Airlines flight with about 16 other people in wheelchairs. Thank God for Southwest. And my (laughs) sister picked her up at the gate, and and she did great for a week. We thought she was coming home. We had a ticket to bring her home. And one Sunday morning, my sisters called me, my sister Peg, who was staying visiting my other sister, and they called me and they said, Kathy, you won't believe it. Mom needs memory care. I said, mm-hmm, sure, I guess so. <laughs> I'd known it all along. Welcome to my club, said, huh? Oh, she's doing so good. You know, she can just go back and this is living. Well, in the middle of the night, my mother got up. She's blind, okay? She got herself dressed. She put in her own hearing aids. She got her walker. She went down outside my sister's house. She has like a sloped driveway. She walked down a couple of steps in the dark, down a slope driveway, around a cul-de-sac, and up to the door of some other people across the way, rang their doorbell in the middle of the night and said, there's an alarm going off in, in the house across the street and nobody will help me, will you help me? She's this teeny tiny little five-foot person, <laughs> 93 years old, and she's standing at the door of somebody's house in the middle of the night. So my sister awoke to the cops on, at the doorstep ringing the doorbell, and when she opened the door, there was my mother. And the cop. So then that morning they called me and they said, mm, she needs memory care. And then they said, and we're keeping her here. So I did not adjust to that very well at first. What I thought in my head was something that a friend of mine had said is she's their mother too. Give them a chance to care for her. So I felt like I needed to say yes, but every fiber of my being was like, are you kidding me? No way. And it took me, I'd say it took me a month to get used to it. And even though I denied I was angry, they said they could hear it in my voice. And that was probably true. And um, eventually it came to the realization that it was probably time for um, my sisters to experience what I had experienced. And maybe they would get a sense of the same kind of love and gratitude and, and joy that I got from the experience of caring for mom. 
Um, you know, and maybe they would understand you better, too. Perhaps, perhaps. But I, I don't know that they still do. <laughs> I just had a conversation <laughs> this afternoon that proved to me that, no, they don't, or at least no, one of them doesn't. But that's okay, too. Because, see, I think in caregiving, sometimes what happens is you've got to work out the stuff you didn't work out before with your relationships with other people, especially with the individual you're caring for, because you have to see them in a completely different way. So to me, I was able to do some really heavy-duty internal work that I didn't expect to have to do, Um, and I see my sister actually going through that now. Even though she might not recognize it, it looks to me like she's kind of experiencing some of the same sorts of um, emotions and and challenges. Sure. Wow, you know, I have to say goodbye to mom, um, who she was. She still talks about needing her to maybe that if she got into another facility, maybe she would have different people around her and come back from being in her current state of, of mental capacity. That's not going to happen. You know, that that being said, let's Mm -hmm. give listeners a a little taste of the kinds of things that happen when she has these episodes. Because it's amazing that, you know, not just you and your sister, but many, many people will kind of not get how big the thing that's going on actually is. And uh, I think this this section about the pink trees in your book okay. would be a great example of really how big it it it, it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll read that for you. This is how the book begins. It says, "And so it begins." Kathy, do you see those pink trees? Don't run into them. Watch out. We're driving down the road, by the way, as this is happening. Can't you see them? They're in the middle of the road. Watch out. Oh, look at those colorful ties. I wonder why they're floating there. Do you think Jim would like one? With my 90-year-old mom's startling hallucinations, an unexpected phase of life unfolded for both of us. Our day had started with a joyful errand, shopping for her dress for our son's wedding, just two of us out on a warm, sunny June day. We were strolling through our local department store, and we had our eyes out for a pretty ensemble for a beach wedding at the end of summer. And it ended with visions of pink trees in the road, dog's heads materializing through non-existent wallpaper, lines of soldiers gazing at a general who was issuing motivating orders on the eve of a war, and of a malevolent flying squirrel that whooshed by her bed in the dark. These images terrified my legally blind mom as she cowered on top of the covers in our guest room, too frightened to sleep at night. Do you want me to go on? Well, I think that gives people a a, a sense, don't you? And the thing is, it would be terrifying... It would be terrifying to to hear her. She sounded as if she was quite a rationally based person before mm-hmm. all this uh, and very self-sufficient and uh, lived into an old age, continuing to be very self-sufficient. So I can imagine that that was a, a stunning, stunning moment for you. She was it simply was having the really experience stunning. she was having. But for you, that must okay. have been quite a shock. You know, we were when we're shopping and she looks at thin air and she started grabbing at things in thin air and saying, look, look, and don't you think Jim would like one of those? I thought, what is going on? But she had fallen that morning, and I don't know if she hit her head or not because, you know, I thought, Mom, we shouldn't go. And she said, no, no, let's go, let's go. And at that point, she was pretty rational. We hadn't had too many hallucinatory 
incidences, not hardly any at all. And um, by the time I got her home from shopping, she's sitting on our couch, and I called the doctor. He said, call 911. I'd never called 911 on anybody before, but I did because I thought maybe she was having a stroke or something. She sat there and recounted and pointed to dogs coming out of my living room wall, um, general somebody in the corner talking to soldiers, and flowers in a flower box that she described as having been from a house that we lived in when I was a little girl. And she was actually seeing this stuff. And then she said, well, I know it's not real, Kathy, but it's so interesting. So she was able to separate herself at that point from her delusions. Now, later, no, she couldn't do that. Sometimes now. It was as if it really was happening. Yes, it really was happening. Uh Uh-huh. Now she doesn't separate it. I've experienced both. I, I experienced with my own mother um, after a surgery, which is very common with older people, um, right. hallucinatory kind of psychotic experiences after after um, anesthesia. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, she had no idea that she was hallucinating. But my mother-in-law, again after a surgery pulled me over and asked me, are the cat, are there really cats on that other bed <laughs> in the hospital? Right? <laughs> and you know what? So she it's knew so something, <laughs> knew something was wrong. I'll tell you what is interesting. Is, and what I've learned, Cheryl, is you have to be in their hallucination with them. You can't For tell sure. them it's Unless, not real. In that case, I didn't need to be because she was trying to uh, verify Reality. She was set fine. And so she wanted Mm -hmm. me to say, no cats. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) yes, I agree. Often you you do need to, don't you? Let's let's come back to that when we 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 have a break right now. Let's come back to it in a minute. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. I also have a link to my novel, which just came out this past fall. Um, Read it and tell me what you think. if you'd like to find uh, my guest book, Walking My Mama Home, you can look up Kathy Flora and her book on Amazon and, um, uh, you know, find, especially if you're in that circumstance of caring for someone with some form of dementia, find some interesting perspectives on dealing with that, with that experience. And we'll be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kathy Floor about her book, Walking My Mama Home. Uh, you know, before the break, I had you read that part of the book about those amazing pink trees and soldiers and ties. Uh, it strikes me that, um, you know, you'd probably gotten pretty used to your mom not describing visual things because her eyesight was pretty bad at that point, wasn't it? So I could imagine it being pretty startling on that score, too, um, to have these very... um, She was seeing things that she ordinarily couldn't and describing color that she didn't see anymore because what she did have vision was around the periphery, and she talked a lot about not having eyesight, not about what she was seeing. So all of a sudden, her brain was filling in a lot of very fascinating things, and it, they were in vivid color. Yeah, and, I, you know, on the break we were talking about, or before we went on, I guess, we were talking about how she didn't seem startled by that, but I was thinking of you in it, uh, that, you know, you're used to compensating for her lack of sight, and suddenly she's seeing a bunch of things that aren't there instead of not seeing what is there. <laughs> What what to me was um, I was able to do as I learned more and more about the disease was to get into the hallucination with her enough to satisfy her and not agitate her because if you told her it wasn't real, it would be disturbing to her. For example, she thought that a boyfriend from the past, a gentleman that she had gone to um, that was in medical school while she was in nursing school whom I had never heard of, actually came and sang to her with her dead sister and wrapped her ankle because she had twisted it. 
well, this was very real to my mom. I came there one day to visit her, and she had her ankle wrapped. Nobody I knew wrapped it. Nobody I could find had wrapped it. Mom probably did it herself. But when I confronted her and said, Mom, who is this person? And she gave me his name. I actually looked him up on the web. He was real. He was also dead. And um, she said to me, Kathy, because I said, can I tell the doctor about this? Because we were still trying to get the diagnosis of dementia. She said, sure, you can tell her, but don't let her tell me he's not real because I want him to stay as long as he can. That's her perspective. (laughs) Pretty Uh interesting, huh? No, I think it's really important what, what you're saying because it can be very hard. You know, for instance, I was raised to be uh, pretty truthful. You know, I got in a lot of trouble if I told an untruth in my family. But mm-hmm. then when you're, when you're uh, be, being with someone uh, who is not able to see the unreality of what they're experiencing... You have to participate, and I can think of many times with my wife uh, towards the end of her life where it would have been very damaging to her if I had told her it wasn't happening, or um, and and very it would have been harder to manage. If I participated, I could usually figure out a way to get us where we needed to be. If I didn't, I couldn't. So that's a big transition. It is. And one of the things that I learned, and I, this isn't a piece of knowledge that came from me, but from experts whom I was able to either consult with or listen to in, in the process of helping mom, was that when someone is in dementia, if they're in a delusion, be in there with them because not to be would be disturbing and frustrating to them and they could get agitated, but also simple things like walking them through a door, the demarcation between one room and another can break the delusion or taking them Mm -hmm. to do something else, not denying where they were in the delusion, but moving them on to something different can be really helpful. And we found that worked sometimes. It was um, really a good tool to use, especially if um, she was really frozen in something. My mom would get obsessive about things. She had had a facelift back oh, 50 years ago, so she's you know she was what 44 or something. And for the longest time after she moved, she would call me every day. She can't use the phone anymore. But back then, she'd call me every day trying to help help her. She wanted me to help her find her plastic surgeon because she wanted to show him her face now and to get her new makeup from this woman who was long dead. And she did this mm-hmm. constantly. She was in this old loop from her past. And I, I saw it as her brain actually cycling through a memory that was stuck. It's really interesting. Learned a lot about my mom and her history that way. Uh, yes, but you can't, you can't be sure. I'll have you read this thing about the boyfriend, the Beatles, and, Ho- and Hawaii in a minute. Oh, yeah. But you can't be okay. sure whether... There are tricks of mind happening or actual memories, can you? you Unless really can. you can verify you it some other way. Yeah, and right. it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter whether it was true or not. Like she used to talk about her grandfather's ceiling because he lived in a home across the street from them when she was growing up, and apparently he had a home office. He was a cement contractor. 
and apparently he had a ceiling painted with, um, you know, the old-fashioned Victorian kind of angels and things like that. She used to describe that to us every Christmas um, for the last couple of Christmases. I think that might have been real, but the one you want me to read next was not real. It was just kind of humorous <laughs> and sweet. Yeah, let's let's have that. Okay. I'd love to share sure. that. The, the, the boyfriend of the Beatles the people and the white bound. Okay. All righty. Okay, Mom's mind was busy working overtime. She said she had trouble sleeping at night, but she slept often and long during the day. And when she was lucid, I could never imagine she needed a memory care unit. She would converse clearly, ask about specific family members, chat knowledgeably about current events. But the delusions were becoming more and more frequent and even more fantastical, although completely out of touch with reality. Let's see if I can find that. I don't know where I need to go next for this one. Completely out of touch with reality. So. Would you like me to pick it up from there? No, I've got it. All right. Early one morning, admonishing me to hurry up, she called me, hurry up and get dressed because her new boyfriend was going to pick me up and Jim in his helicopter in 10 minutes and he was going to take us to a wedding in Hawaii. And when I inquired further about this new boyfriend, I heard quite a story. She said, he's been hiding here, Kathy. The staff has kept him hidden because he has too much money, and they don't want anybody to steal it. But I found out about him, and now we're getting married. He owns a business in northern Michigan, an entire real estate development, and his helicopter will be there to get you right away. Don't forget to dress up, Kathy. Surprisingly, some of those threads of thought had links to her past. She'd said she wanted to find a rich husband. Now she'd snagged one. She used to live in the villages near Ocala, Florida, a development that was started by a real estate mogul from northern Michigan, and she loved Hawaii. She and Dad had traveled there often with her bankers group and when Dad was riding high in his career. It was funny how she scrambled all those elements into an exciting adventure. So I said, okay, Mom, I'll be ready when he gets here. By the way, I plan to stop by to see you around 1 o'clock today. Is that okay? I'll be there after lunch. And to her, the conflicting plans made sense. So when I got to her place at one, she never mentioned the boyfriend, although my sisters each said that she called them too, and we were all going to the wedding sometime. Now, another morning, another bubbly, excited phone call. Hey, Kathy, you're late, she said. You better hurry up because we're going to miss the Beatle concert. I have tickets right here in my purse, but we'll miss it if you don't get here in a few minutes. Hurry up. Sure, Mom, I love the Beatles. I'll be right over. (laughs) So that was the kind of thing that we had to deal with. She just would come and go from reality to not reality. And when she was there, you know, we could say, sure, hurry up, we'll, we'll get there. But we never did go on a helicopter. She never did have anybody to marry, nor did we go to a Beatle concert. Although I have to say that when I was 11, she and my dad got my sister and I tickets for the first Beatle concert in America. So she must have been thinking about that. Well, isn't it, isn't it kind of delicious to imagine you could experience that over and over instead of just one mm-hmm. time <laughs> to literally experience well, it? That's right. But I also, and how you know, I often uh, her. many <laughs> several things I've read about uh, the later end stages of life more or less uh, there's a there's a metaphoric quality to it and i i find it interesting that a couple of different times she had 
um, belief that she had a boyfriend uh, because uh-huh. I remember when my wife died thinking nobody will do that for me. You know, mm. <laughs> it was a it mm. was a very um, uh, deep feeling. Uh, I don't know how to describe the feeling of that thought, but um, it, it was one of the places of of grief. And right. she she sort of invents this person who's going to take care of her. <laughs> it's it's kind of lovely, exactly. actually. <laughs> it is lovely, and I I kind of sometimes I. I view it as her way of coping with her, um, with the inconsistency of her mental state because she was a very much of a control person when she was growing up and actually she was a very conscious, health conscious person. She walked five miles a day. She took rafts of vitamins. She even had her blood chelated at one time out in Seattle because she thought it was healthy to do. So she was very health conscious and she thinks even today, that she has a good memory. But she will go through these periods where she has to um, protect herself, even. Sometimes it's with a hallucination. Sometimes it's with action. Just this last September, um, she was in a really good state for about three weeks, and everybody thought, oh, gosh, she's really leveling out. This is wonderful. And the next thing you know, we get a call from her uh, memory care unit. She had fallen in the night, and had broken her, well, cracked her pelvis. And the, the thing that happened is she had awoken from a dream, or maybe she was still in a dream and woke up, because I think what happens is sometimes she stays in her dreams when she's awake. And um, she thought boys were pouring kerosene on her bed and that she was trying to get away from them so she didn't burn up. She jumped out of bed and fell. And then she dragged herself out to the hallway and was yelling about these boys. There was no boys in the whole building. But mom believed it to be true, and in this case, it was harmful to her. But she did have this fight, this instinct to, to survive and to protect herself. And sometimes I think her mind was doing that for her. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to watch, and, a, and it's poignant, and it's painful, and sometimes it's hysterically funny. The other thing that I, you know, thinking of you in it, because, of course, your book and and our discussion is about changes in you as a result of this experience in your life. Coming mm-hmm. to terms with the fact that she may have experiences that are painful, unpleasant, terrible, you know, along the way between here and death, and that that really mm-hmm. can't be prevented um, because... To my mind, you don't want to tie her into the bed every night for, you know, a f- uh, an unpredictable moment where she may um, lose touch with reality. That would be a big price to pay, wouldn't it? So yeah, how I do mean, you, in that- fact, you, you can't really keep her safe all the time. We really can't keep anybody safe all the time, can we? And that's no, we really can't. Remember, no, we really can't. And we can't protect anybody from going through the path that is set for them. And um, we can accompany them. And that's the way I like to think about it. That was sense of walking my mama home. I could accompany her. I could keep her as safe as I, as I was possibly able to do so. 
I wrote a caregiver manifesto at the end of my book about how I really wanted to keep people from, from, um, or keep her from people who were laughing at her, uh, delusions or, or, you know, just treating her in a way that didn't show respect and grace because she deserved all the respect and grace that I could give her, anybody else could give her. But it required a lot of vigilance and it also required humility on my part because I'll tell you what, I didn't know what was going on some of the time, and I had to learn. Mm. I also had to learn to let go, and I had to let the, the people who were the pros at this do the best they could. What we needed to do uh, in my family was find a safe place for mom and a place where she could be treated with dignity and respect and would be afforded all the freedom that she was capable of handling, not to tie her down, but to keep her within a, a, a confined space and, and uh, place. Right. Even if maybe they took her place. Not leave the doors unlocked. The yeah, but they I, have, I, have locked I, doors. Yeah. I, I love this um, little village idea that I saw on the internet where they built an entire uh, village, but it was enclosed. So each person had a little apartment like townhouse and there were restaurants and there were you know <laughs> stores mm-hmm. and this and that and uh, but people couldn't uh, couldn't wander and I thought wow and, and, that would sure be fantastic uh, at that stage in your life to to be, be completely completely didn't. contained but have complete freedom <laughs> kind of a wonderful combination there's a stage where that would work really well and then there will be a stage when it doesn't. When it what doesn't, absolutely. Mom, yeah. yeah, what my own mom is experiencing now, even though there's lots of activities to participate in and really good food and things like that, she prefers to live in her mind. She will get up in the morning, get dressed with the clothes that somebody lays out for her. She'll take her shower if it's her shower day. She'll go down to breakfast and push her food around on her plate. Then she'll come back and she'll sit on her love seat, not in her bed, but on her love seat, and she will sleep or she will just sit there and her mind is going, you know. And then sometimes in the middle of the night, she'll get up, she'll pack all of her stuff because she's going on a trip. She's in her mind. She's going somewhere. I think she's going home. I think she's getting ready for death. Yes, that that's, that's a, such that a common occurrence time. when people mm-hmm. are uh, at that stage of, of living or dying, yeah. <laughs> the it's, travel. It's a, it's a travel thing, and it's a, yeah. she kept, she, when she had a, that broken hip, she said to her, her nurse, she said, how come my daughters won't let me go? So we haven't done that, the business that they do tell you to say is, hey, it's okay, mom, if you go. But we have talked to her about her plans and what she wants for her funeral and all of that, and she's come through pretty strongly with some opinions about it when she's lucid. But she used to be very afraid to die. I don't think she's of the capacity now to recognize that she may be getting close to death. She believes she's okay. And that's comforting to the rest of us because um, we don't want her to be in pain and we don't want her to be afraid. It was harder for her in the initial stages of her illness where she could tell something wasn't quite right. Now, if she's in a particular state, that's real. And that's actually a little easier. A little yeah. easier. Let's go to another break now, and we'll. Uh, what I want to talk about in the in this third segment, most particularly, 
uh, along with just continuing this wonderful conversation, is really what you feel is different in you from having, mm. uh, we're, you know, we've alluded to it a little, but I'd like to, I'd like to talk more about that when we come back. Okay. Listeners, once again, you can find me uh, at the Voice America uh, Good Grief page. You can find me on, at my website, too, weatheringgrief.com. And uh, to find Kathy Flora's book, Walking My Mama Home, you can go to Amazon. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Kathy Flora talking about her role as caregiver to her mom. Uh, who has dementia and what it's taught her. And I thought we could focus some on that. Um, you know, there's some some obvious things like in the course of the book, it, it appeared to me like 
you came to rely on uh, your conception of higher power or God much more than at the start. Was that a, uh, a an accurate reading of one thing? Part so. of what happened? I think so. That's part of what happened. What what primarily happened is it reminded me of being held like I was when I had my breast cancer. I was that felt very close to what I call God and whom I believe is is present with me and in me. And that spirit was there for me during this experience. But I don't tend to enter experiences willingly that are so unusual. I like to be in control. Mm-hmm. And this one humbled me more than anything else. And I had to turn to somebody or something, uh, God in my case, to um, walk me through it. I had just retired when all this started coming down, and I had a pretty pretty intense job. I worked for the Defense Department, and I was training civilians in leadership in a location where everybody was fighting the war in Iraq and Iran, so it was a really tough environment. And I came out of that in my retirement, I think, hardened in some ways, and I was going to do this, and I was going to do that in my retirement, and I was going to write a different book, and blah, 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 and then this happened. And what kind of came to me as I worked through that personally was my job right now is this. And it was a very different role than I anticipated. My job was to care for somebody else and that I mattered, but I didn't matter in that same way. I had to dredge up and learn um, how to let go of a lot of old stuff that I might have been carrying around as a kid. Um, I had mm-hmm. to learn how to communicate better. I had to learn way more gentleness. Uh, I knew inside of me there was a gentleness, but I had had to put it in a box when I was at work, and I had to take it back out again. So uh, the other thing is, is I'm a very social person, and I need a lot of people around me. I, I feel like I need to belong, okay? But in this process, I had to separate myself from a lot of the yeses that I had said in my retirement and say no. And there's a phrase that I kept coming back to, I learned in um, one of my studies, and it comes from the Bible, and it is, I'm doing important work, and I cannot come down. In other words, this is your job right now, kiddo. This is what I have you doing. And there was one incident where mom was so scared that she couldn't sleep, and she she made me come and get her, and she wanted to sleep in our bed, and the whole thing. And you know, I was a in college, I had gone through an anxiety issue, and I had to learn how to not be an anxious person. My mom stood there for me during that time. She stood with me, and I could recall some of the things she did for me. And guess what? I was able to pull them back out. This was forty, fifty years later and use those same things with her. That whole strategy of anchoring yourself to your current world and let's get involved with something real that you can touch, that you can mm-hmm. see. Let's, let's go for a walk, Mom. Let's do this. And, and um, validating where she was, but not letting her stay in it. Anchoring her to her current world. That's what she did to me, for me, back when I was a, a kid in college. And I was able to call that up. I think that came from a a spirit. And at the end, um, when I had to let go of her, 
I had to realize, and she's still there, and I still talk to her from time to time. She doesn't always know me. But um, my letting go of her was kind of like I had already gotten the gift. When I had a friend say to me, um, what, how are you feeling now that she's gone? Do you feel relieved? And my statement back to her was no. I actually feel like my gift was stolen. Like my, um, that was my birthright. Somebody took it, you know. But really, she, she was teaching me to say goodbye. You know, it was, it was a very, very, very powerful transition for me to know that I was being held and taught these things so that when she finally does pass on to her next life, which I believe in, I'll be able to say goodbye to her because I got to walk her part of the way home. What I wanted to do with Walker all the way home wasn't my role. Now it's my sister's role. And guess what? My sister needs that. She doesn't know it, but mm-hmm. she needs it. So it's, I feel it's, it would be a perfect so moment, Kathy, to, for you mm-hmm. to share that part of the book about um, letting go. You know, t- uh, you're, we're really talking about surrender, aren't we? Surrender to what yeah, we really what's are. true and and um, being able to be with what is, including letting her, uh, letting her go to be with your sister. You know, that's mm-hmm. another letting go that you had to surrender to, or you chose to surrender to, uh, to find some grace with that. Would you Would you uh, share that part of the book? Okay, January fourteenth, two thousand eighteen. She called last night and said she missed me. She said she'd not talked to me in so long and wondered how I was doing. Was Jim well? How about Jackson, Mark, Dave, and the kids? She rarely remembered how to dial the phone. She wasn't often clear enough of mind, so this lucid conversation took me completely by surprise. She was totally and wholly there, wholly aware, in touch, and present. We talked of nothing and everything for 15 to 20 minutes, Her reaching out to me so moved me, it brought tears to my eyes. The night before her call, I had dreamed that I had to hurry up to Indiana to see her, to bring Jim and Jack to see her so that we could say goodbye before she died. I remember the rush in my dream to find all my black clothes to pack so I'd be ready for her funeral, and the dream-driven frustration that I could not get the plane tickets out that very instant. I had to get to her. I had to hurry before she left me, before she floated away on a whisper. Mommy, my mama, don't leave me. I miss you so much. I love you. My dear little mama, I love you. I let go of her then, trusting her to her creator and to my family who now cared for her. I prayed that she would soon find her way home before she lost her capacity to recognize those whom she loved and who loved her back. My prayer then stays with me now as I conclude our story of parallel paths, each taking from the other what God intended, the lessons of a lifetime and the blessings of his spirit. As she faded in my mind, I awoke from my dream with these words. Go to God, my dear one. Go softly and remember me. For I will carry you with me always. And what you taught me about love and loss grace, dignity, and God. You know, one thing that comes to my mind, 
is that you make it pretty clear in the book that you and she had your struggles, as most mothers oh, and yeah. daughters do, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, that this period of time you had with her decline also uh, made it imperative to you that you uh, find your way through those difficulties, I guess. And uh, to me, that sounds like you're just uh, being in, in love with each other. That you yeah. s- that that's part of the blessing. That is the blessing. Is that and how you experience this, it? This process healed me, Cheryl. I didn't even think I was broken. And I probably, I mean, I'm perfectly well-functioning, okay? But there must have been stuff that I needed to process. And see, I believe that we're here for a reason, that we have, um, we have jobs to do. We have to solve stuff in our life in order to become who we wholly are, and our transitions get us closer and closer to that. It may feel like we're dissolving in a transition like this, but the fact is, is that's where we do our best internal work. That's the good stuff. That's where the, the who we used to be and who we are kind of acts in concert so we can fully become who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I believe this experience gave me the chance to become more of who I'm supposed to be. I'm still working it. Boy, have I got a long way to go. As the conversation I had with my older sister today proved to me, I'm still reactive sometimes. But the bottom line is, is I learned so much about the fact that the, this is not about me. This, this life is not about me. It's about how I can make a difference to other people. And so now, when I um, interact with people, I have a, a different sort of pure love. And it's, mom taught me that, and she didn't know she was teaching it. But it was that mm. experience of caring for her as she became, you know, five years old and three years old and two years old and sometimes one year old and sometimes like an infant and sometimes like a terrified teenager and sometimes like a, a crazy woman honestly taught me how to love in a really different way. I have the sense, too, I've thought about this a lot. Uh, I've thought back to things that I experienced before uh, my wife's illness that, um, that taught me in some big ways. They weren't quite as transformative as what happened with her, but they were kind of practice. Uh, I have mm-hmm. to say, and it sounds mm-hmm. like your breast cancer, for instance, for instance, that's that's a place where you have to do a lot of things, but you also have to surrender to a real change in identity. So there's always more to learn, isn't there? And I'm sure there will be. <laughs> there's 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 no end of things that that grow us and change us. I think that's right. what gives me the most hope in life. <laughs> We don't want it to be the grief-stricken ones that do, but that's life too. Sometimes and, it is. And, that's sometimes yeah. it is. Kathy, well, I really want to thank you for be. being with me today. Oh, it's been thank a pleasure you. to talk I to you. Appreciated it. It's been nice <laughs> talking to you too, Cheryl. Thank you. And and listeners, uh, you can go find Kathy Flora's book, Walking My Mama Home, on Amazon. Next week, I'll have Charles Garfield 
founder of the Shanti, Shanti Project here in the Bay Area and author of Life's Last Gift about his four decades of work with dying people and their families. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.